Welcome to Vernacular Reality, the VR-focused extension of Language Matters by Diplomatic Language Services. Join me, Blythe Collins, as I explore how a language company can implement virtual reality as a learning tool. Welcome back to Vernacular Reality. Today, we are on episode eight, and I'm back with Sean, who is DLS's AR and VR developer. Hi, everybody. And we have a special guest coming from the DLS side once again. Katia Anderson, our project manager, is going to talk to us a little bit about her most recent project working on the VR program and how she has expanded the language offerings. So I am going to turn it over to Katia to give you a little bit of an introduction about herself and kind of what she's been doing in the VR project. Well, thank you, Blythe. I appreciate the introduction and um, I'm very glad to be invited here and talk about this project that's very exciting uh, in my opinion. I have dealt with it for the past several months and um, it's become a pet project of mine of sorts. Uh, I started off with um, developing or helping develop uh, a Russian module a little bit uh, because uh, the developers turned to me with a request to record some videos in Russian that would go into the module itself and be embedded. So this is how I pretty much got started. I went on to develop another module for Russian. And from there on, um, I took on a few other languages such as Spanish and Italian. So this is something uh, that I've been doing, like I said, for the past couple of months, and it turned out to be a challenging enough project, uh, but also very, very exciting. So I am curious about how you actually develop a module. What do you mean by that? Yes, we call it a module. It's like our work name for it. Um, I discovered that a lot of effort actually goes into developing a module. Um, for, of course, we have core languages that are um, most commonly requested for training. So we started with those, Russian being one of them, but of course, Arabic, Thai, Chinese, Spanish, and Italian are uh, in those ranks as well. So you pretty much start off with selecting a location or a place. Uh, you select uh, the, the portospheres that are available to us on the internet. Uh, we, we have a challenge of selecting good quality ones, uh, of course, because not every image that we use, um, uh, would, or not every image that you find would be usable or would work very well or tie with other images and so on. We start with images and what's available. And then we just uh, develop ideas as to what features we would include uh, in the module and we build a lesson plan based on that. Uh, so it does take a lot of time and effort because you want to do your research properly. You want to research the locations. Uh, they have to be, um, of course, usable for study. So they have to have enough good content for us to um, have an educational purpose um, and so on. So uh, this is also a good way to collaborate with the the technology part, so to speak. So uh, Sean and I ended up working a lot together because they, all the lesson plans and all the theory had to be tied with technology. And this is when uh, kind of like these, these two uh, had to be combined. And I'll turn it over to Sean because he has been a big part of it as well. Thanks, Katya. Um, yeah, so 
you know, we've we've talked before about how it's a bit unusual for a language services company to be doing its own software development uh, in in this kind of way, and um, and so our you know our software development team is very small, um, and so to rely on just our software developers to build uh, build out the content would would both you know end up creating uh, not very culturally relevant content. I'm not, uh, I'm not a linguist myself, certainly not in any uh, human speakable languages, <laughs> only programming languages, <laughs> but uh, uh, also it would be a huge uh, operational bottleneck. Um, so, you know, we have at any one time we have, you know, maybe 400 students coming here to DLS and, uh, and um, you know we're serving them across a, an extremely wide variety of languages, and so we we had this need to be able to develop content um, and hopefully develop it very rapidly, uh, uh, not just for our current students, but even for uh, for future clients that come to us and say, hey, you know, we have we have a need to be able to uh, to do a new language. Um, you know, the, uh, the nature of our, our clients work, uh, you know, means that they have to be very reactive to uh, changing global conditions, if I put it in that way. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so we've always, we've always had a goal in mind that uh, creating the content should be a very user-friendly process, uh, something that doesn't take a lot of highly detailed, specialized technical training. We don't want to have to require anybody to have a have a, a computer science degree or or training in three D modeling um, to be able to create these uh, these scenarios. Um, so uh, having Katya come on and and start working on building out uh, scenarios and modules um, was uh, a great experience to have yet another set of eyes on our software, uh, yet another, another um, viewpoint on how everything is working uh, and collaborate directly to, uh, to build out new features within the application to support, uh, to support that scenario development. Yes, thank you very much. Of course, I came on board because I was, uh, I am a native Russian speaker, so it was uh, uh, definitely, you know, easy for me to do and uh, very fun to learn. But we ended up uh, discovering that instructor involvement was actually a key part of the whole process. Why not? First of all, of course, because the native speakers would want, uh, would or would know which uh, locations or which modules would have educational value. This is something that, for instance, our team lacks for every single language. And of course, they, uh, since they're instructors, you know, we can uh, definitely involve them. We can give them more work. We can get authentic content that way. Um, so they are perfect candidates for developing modules like that, um, especially also because they work with lesson plans all the time and they have a very good insight as to where certain modules would fit into the curriculum, where what kind of tasks should be present in the modules and so on. Um, of course, they also know the countries better. So they select oftentimes very interesting, very unexpected places. Um, and that's the value they bring in. 
And of course, they can record authentic videos. Uh, their voices actually are a part of our modules. Uh, if you go into the modules, that's that's who you hear. You see, you hear instructors who have developed that and created the the, the content. So it's a very exciting work for them as well. Uh, we have had instructors help us develop um, a Spanish module, a Thai module, and an Italian module by now. So, and it was a great experience for of all of us, really, for the instructors and for us too. Uh, we learned a few things too. Uh, for example, um, it's good to select the location that is sort of off the beaten path. Um, they need to do not they do not need to be big um, that way it's uh, a little bit easier to do it because you don't have to cover a whole lot of virtual ground so to speak and of course they have to have a learning potential well i learned the first part um, uh, sort of by trial and error because i went and all, i hadn't created the the module of the moscow kremlin which turned out to be really really big and had to be split in parts because the material was too rich so different students also have different goals um, when they work and they can also be at the different uh, different levels in their training so they um they can use the modules to help them achieve uh, their goals while in the module because uh, one is interested in the cultural aspect as well as uh, uh, of course the 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 language aspect of it as well and an instructor can adjust any module accordingly and for us it's uh, it's extremely valuable as well and so the content can be adapted and uh, changed um, according to their goals uh, for example if you are in a module you can uh, play out a simple situation you can practice role plays and again like i said they can come at different levels so that was really um um, a really a good thing to do is to get, getting the instructors on board. Yeah, speaking of the different levels of students, um, that was something that uh, yeah, our direct collaboration really um, surfaced really early on was that uh, from the technology side, we'd been developing these uh, the software in such a way that uh, you know their, our modules were very static. You had one set of content uh, that you went through. And if you wanted to do something else, um, you know, that would be a completely different module. Um, and so during the process of developing um, some of these scenarios with, uh, with Katya um, and with some of our instructors, uh, we, uh, we realized there was need to have a little more customizability while you were in the scenario um, to be able to accommodate different students at different levels with the same amount of content uh, with the same kind of base level content. And uh, so that was one of, that was one feature that we put in um, relatively quickly was the ability to uh, just do something simple like mute the background sound um, or, or change the volume of the background sound. Um, so we have, we have the, the 360 images that the immersive environment that you're looking at. And then we also add audio into that to create more life into the environment. And, uh, and so when it's simple things mm -hmm. like, like birds tweeting in the background, mm -hmm. that, uh, that really is, helps sell the believability of the place. But then when it's things like uh, sounds of crowds, uh, 
um, that can be a, a kind of like a confounding element for students um, trying to trying to speak and trying to listen. Um, uh, you know, where where beginner students will will want to have that turned off to to be able to progress, whereas more advanced students um, will want to have that on to mm -hmm. to test their ability. That's that's a very good point, Sean. I actually did hear a lot of uh, feedback both from the developing instructors and the students that the background sounds do really add to the ambiance and they really do help create an atmosphere of immersion, like of the, the good feel of being somewhere in a place. And we have background sounds like uh, not only crowds or birds chipping, we have uh, water lapping, for example, or uh, the cars going by. So depending on where you are in the module, you can embed those. And it's great. We can embed signs such as, uh, uh, for example, a menu, if you're sitting in front of a restaurant, but you can't really go in because you don't have very good images, we could still uh, do a role play and, and but pretend you're ordering from a restaurant and the instructor can play a part of uh, uh, a server because you have access to that menu. You have access to that file right there in the VR environment. Um, it's very, very handy and it works really well. Uh, I'm actually amazed uh, myself at, at all the things that we, we were able to create. I was very excited to see all that. So the the feedback was good on that. Yeah, we get a we get a lot of mi we get a lot of mileage out of um, some really basic features, and I think that's really important um, because the the more simple the feature is. I think the easier it is to use, uh, you know, to be able to to keep the focus on the conversation between the instructor and the student. Um, you know, we we early on we always said that you know what we do best as a as a company is uh, foster that that relationship between a student and their instructor, and we always wanted to keep that forefront. We never wanted to distract from that. Um, we always wanted to enhance that. And so simple tools like just being able to put a PDF file into, into the environment um, that you can then flip through. It seems like such a, it seems like such a small thing, um, but it really, it really gives people <laughs> something to do without overloading and without distracting from the learning goal. Yes, precisely. So thank you for that. That was a result of our direct collaboration, actually, because we did need uh, certain types of files be embedded in the VR environment. Uh, so the, the, a typical class that is centered on VR um, would be rather easy to use because we spend a lot of time developing the lesson plan for the instructor that's offered to the instructor for while they're inside the module. It's basically, it's a step-by-step -step plan that they can follow. They can choose to follow it to the T or they can choose to just follow only some basic things in it and improvise as they go along. So it actually gives them a lot of freedom within the VR, but at the same time, it gives them uh, a guideline that they can follow if they do not particularly feel like being, um, you know, particularly creative on that particular day. Um, so we also offer um, a pre and post VR experience activities 
that are task-based. We found that it's extremely useful for somebody who is preparing to go into the VR and have that experience. Again, they can be adjusted, adapted according to the participant's level. We typically will create a few of them. So again, if the instructor could pick and choose what would be appropriate for that level or for that place in the syllabus uh, where, where they are right now in the program of uh, studying the language. Um, so we will just offer a, a series of tasks that they could be videos, they could be audios, they uh, could be vocabulary lists, and of course, reading text and so on. And they can be either assigned as homework to a student beforehand, or they could be done in class prior to the VR. And again, you can, they can choose as many as they want or as few as they want and spend as much or as little time as they want on it. And then uh, the same thing happens kind of when they are done with the experience in the VR. They have like some uh, a, a type of a post-work assignment usually that uh, they can choose again to do or not to do. Of course, we would always encourage them to do it because a lot of it is review, but those would be already the tasks uh, centered on um, uh, maybe it's sharing their experiences or comparing something or describing something that they have seen. So they would be uh, probably a little bit harder level-wise for the students. But again, the instructor decides uh, how much modification is needed each time. And that way we, we customize the experience to everybody involved. So the VR experience doesn't necessarily end it doesn't necessarily start and end when you're in the environment. It seems like you guys have created some continuity for learning in, in the classroom, which is nice. That's exactly right, Life. Yes, they spend some time pre and post. Um, at least that's encouraged. And again, it can be tied into the curriculum and they can go in and out as many times as they need. Cool. Now, I think the, the last step now that we have all these new... Um, modules created in the new languages that new for us really in Spanish, Italian, Thai, and Arabic is uh, collecting feedback. So our goal is really to to offer it to as many classes as we can and collect feedback from students and instructors, which would give us uh, an opportunity to perfect what we already have to perfect our content, update it is is needed, deepen it. Um, or maybe uh, offer other features, uh, technical features. I don't know. Uh, I feel that, that Sean is always moving forward uh, with his ideas and with things that he implements. Uh, one thing he found that I particularly liked and the students also liked a lot were aerial views. So it really serves as a kind of like a good closure for a module when... Um, you can find the aerial view, of course, uh, but if we do, we definitely embed it because um, it's a great way to look back at what you have gone through and look at the stations from the bird's eye view. So it's it's a really, really cool feature. We have it in the Russian module and in the Italian one as well. The aerial views were really interesting. Um, yeah, they are, they are really uh, amazing shots in a lot of cases. Um, and uh, it's something that we've had to be a little careful of. Uh, so we, uh, again, you know, kind of pushing, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the content development, driving the, the technology development uh, 
you know, from, from finding these aerial views and, uh, and really wanting to include them, um, we ended up also uh, starting to incorporate a couple of new um, features in the user interface for uh, trying to keep the student uh, feeling grounded um, and, and not, uh, not like they're about to uh, float off into space. Uh, so, so we have this little like uh, little uh, grid on the ground, this, this kind of like wire mesh uh, floor sort of thing that uh, you know, when, we, when we first started testing out the aerial views, people, uh, people were reporting a, a kind of a, a feeling of vertigo uh, jumping into them. So we, we added this, uh, this little ground, this little kind of platform that you're standing on uh, and that really helped people to, uh, to not feel like they were about to uh, fall to their injury. Or... It does feel very real. So I've experienced it myself and uh, it does feel very, very authentic. So I can totally imagine that you're floating in the air looking down at something that could probably give you a little bit of vertigo. But we warn yeah. students, actually, we have a warning uh, within the module. Next step is aerial view. Yeah, uh, but a lot of them like it, and they like to point things out um, from that perspective um, and recognize things they've just seen on virtual land. Yeah, that was another feature that we added uh, before that time. Um, you know, the, all the connections between uh, between stations, all the connections between the individual photos, uh, they were just buttons with an arrow on them to move forward. And then uh, when we when we saw the value, but also the difficulty of the aerial views, uh, we added a feature to be able to label those navigation buttons to so that we could say this next thing that you're going to, it's going to be an aerial view. Uh, you know, just be aware of that before you click on the button. Um, Look so out. We try to yeah, we try to let people do what they want, what they can feel comfortable doing. Um, and but give them enough information to make uh, the choice for themselves before they jump in. Right. And we feel that we're on very solid ground, virtual ground with Chinese, Russian, Spanish, Italian, Thai, and Arabic. That's a versatile collection. And I see, I think it just seems like a lot of trial and error from what I can tell. Um, mm -hmm. Just having students go yes. through it, having everybody yes. try it out and just see what works mm -hmm. and see how people do. Precisely. It's a creative process, really. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, thank you both for being here and talking to me. This was so informational and so fascinating for me to learn about. Um, so Sean, as always, thank you. And Katya, thank you very much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Katya. Go ahead and email us at vr at dlsdc.com to schedule a demo, to learn more, or just to say hi to us. And we will see you on the next episode of Vernacular Reality. Bye. Later, taters. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Vernacular Reality. I hope you'll continue the conversation with us by searching Diplomatic Language Services on Facebook and LinkedIn, following us on Instagram at DC Language, or tweeting us at Diplomatic LS.